Hi, I'm Tristan Miller, and you're listening to Positive and Negative, a podcast about the intersectionality between mental health and the arts. Today on the program, I speak with Ashley Jay, who is a writer, performer, and mental health advocate, about her experience with borderline personality disorder and depression. Here she is talking about navigating mental health issues while being creative. I, I still do navigate it on my own um, when it comes to my creativity. How I do that is sometimes I actually utilize a technique that I learned from the group. And when I'm having just a really horrible mental health day where I can't even like lift a foot out of bed, sometimes I'll just start talking to myself and just record myself talking to myself. And when I'm ready to listen to it, I'll listen back to it. And, and sometimes it sparks creativity and sometimes it's just a moment of reflection for me. And I, and what I want to say here is that it's totally okay if you don't feel creative. Like you don't always need to monetize every single thing that you do. You don't need to monetize your hobbies all the time. Um, and if it's a day where your creativity is just like you just <laughs> just let it be. Um, and and the more that you focus on being more gentle with yourself during that time, your creativity will come back. Like it will come back because you are taking care of yourself so that your mind is ready to be open for that creative opportunity. This podcast is made possible by Patreon. You can go to patreon.com slash Tristan J. Miller to support us there and receive early access to the rest of this season along with unedited versions of the interviews, as well as a myriad of other content for and about mental health. Our music is by Billy Conahan. It's To Be or Nah off the album Leaping With Intent to Fly, available wherever fine music is sold. All right, let's get to this interview. Hey, Ashley, how are you today? Thank you for being on. Thanks, Tristan. I'm doing good. How about you? Um, you know, we, you know, we're all keeping on. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like it's the most generous we can be at this point. Right. Uh, yeah. But you, you, you're, you're kind you're primarily an actress, right? Or actor, whatever you act. I do act. Yeah, yeah, I do act. Um, full time, I actually do social media marketing and I do oh, cool. um, solo performance on the side. Very nice. Very mm -hmm. nice. And what, what got you into like acting and solo performing? Well, I've always been interested in it since I was a kid. Um, mm -hmm. Like I really loved watching um, Disney Channel shows, you know, like That's So Raven <laughs> yeah. or Lizzie McGuire. Um, and every time I watch TV, I was like, ooh, I want to be on there. <laughs> like, I want to yeah, be there. Yeah. And ever since then, um, in high school, I started taking, or middle school, actually, I started taking theater classes. And that was like my first experience being on stage. Um, and I had like this role of like playing like this sparkling fish. Um, that's amazing. <laughs> thank that's... you. I have no idea what it was linked to at all, but I just remember playing the sparkling fish. And I remember as soon as I got up on stage and had to say my lines, like I was, I was like, this is where I belong. And so, you know, I started taking theater classes in high school. Um, and then I kind of, I stopped taking theater classes in college, but I got involved with speech and debate. Mm. And through speech and debate, um, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but they're actually two different things. So speech and debate isn't what you see on like TV or like the great debaters like type of thing. Like that's strictly debate, but spe the speech side is, is sort of like monologues. Like they have like a lot of creative avenues there. Like you can do poetry, you can do um, prose, you can do, um, uh, what is it? 
uh, you could do prose, you could do poetry, or you could do sort of like a mixture of the two. Um, oh, and then there's also one called dramatic interpretation, which is, oh, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah, which is like the traditional monologues that you see. But um, the speech side of speech and debate is where I utilized what I learned from like high school and <laughs> middle school mm -hmm. um, drama, drama classes and kind of went into that realm. Mm -hmm. Then from there, out of college, um, just from working and staying connected with my speech and debate teammates and coaches, one of my coaches actually participated in what's called Solo Sundays out here in San Francisco, California. Mm -hmm. And I saw her perform a one woman show through Solo Sundays. And afterwards I went out to dinner with her and she was like, you know, you should try it. And I was like, what? <laughs> and she's like, I was like, I don't know if I could do that. She's like, yeah, you know, you just write your own thing and you just go up there and perform. I was like, oh no, I can't do that. And she was like, well, you did speech, you know? And I said, but like, that was already material that was written that I just had to memorize. <laughs> like I didn't have to like actually write it and come up with like the ideas and the direction and all that. Um, and she's just like, go for it. And so I did. And I was like, this is where I belong. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That That's fantastic. A um, couple things. One, you say this is where I belong. You said it twice. Did mm -hmm. you have a feeling prior to that of like not belonging anywhere else? Oh, yeah. And I would definitely say I've had that feeling of feeling like an outsider pretty much most of my life. Mm -hmm. And I mostly attribute it to, one, my environment, um, and two, sometimes, you know, like my, my, mental, my mental health. Mm -hmm. And so first with my environment, um, I grew up upper middle class. So I lived in the suburbs pretty much all my life. And most of the suburbs that I grew up in were predominantly white and mm -hmm. I'm black. Mm -hmm. So I was always like the one of two black kids in class. Whenever slavery was talked about in class, a teacher would call on me and ask me to talk cool. about it. Um, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, I was like, I was like, eh, this is this is really awkward. It's not too cool yeah. for me. Yeah, uh, being like the only black kid in class, um, trying to explain slavery to these other kids when I'm trying to learn about it. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And uh, oh boy, and so just constantly just being like the only black kid and sometimes the only person of color in the room, I constantly felt like an outsider. And um, the second. The second context that I've also felt like an outsider is uh, through my mental health. So um, I have three mental health diagnoses. So first I have borderline personality disorder, then I have PTSD, and then I have depression. Mm -hmm. So I mean, depression now, I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, this is digestible, like depression, anxiety, yeah. this is a problem. But in terms of like PTSD, and especially borderline personality disorder, like not a lot of people are really aware of these or like fully understand BPD um, and PTSD. So mm -hmm. it's, it's really hard for people to connect with me and for me to like connect with other people since the symptoms, especially surrounding BPD uh, are misunderstood. Yeah that that makes sense um would you mind talking a little bit about what those symptoms are yeah sure um so i know there's nine and mm. um i don't remember all nine so i'll probably just list the ones that are oh, relevant to me yeah <laughs> <laughs> i know i was like i was like oh where's my lab coat so i can like remember all these symptoms you know <laughs> you did uh, research for an interview about you come on yeah. i know oh, i'm such a such a bad interviewee <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so there's nine symptoms of BPD, which is borderline personality disorder. And so the ones that I can remember are disassociation, unstable sense of self, um, emotional dysregulation or sort of unstable um, mood swings, self-harm, suicidality, impulsivity, and there's one more, but I'm forgetting it. 
I think it yeah. kind of goes with like hopelessness or something, but I got you six. So yeah, not bad. That's, <laughs> like, I think a passing grade, right? Yeah. Like six out of nine. Like, yeah. That ain't pass. bad. That ain't yeah. bad. It's not your job. Either. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and when did those symptoms start to manifest with you? Mine started to show up in high school. And, but in high school, I didn't, I didn't, and neither did my family have the language for it. And I should also mention that I also grew up in a religious family as well. Mm. So um, I grew up in a Christian household and we're also black. And in black culture, um, religion is essentially like one of our foundations. Like it's essentially a part of our culture. And so in black culture, not only do we not want to talk about what's going on mentally, but like when it comes to religion, any sort of like negative emotion that anybody is experience, experiencing, we tend to throw at them like, oh, just pray about it. God's got it, mm -hmm. you know? And so when my symptoms started showing up in high school, my parents were just like, oh, well, you know, she's just being dramatic, you know, just let's just make sure she goes to church every day that she prays. Um, and what also didn't help was that I was a straight A student. So, you know, nobody suspected sure. the straight A student to, you know, be acting out or sort of have these sort of withdrawal like symptoms or um, these really unstable mood swings. And what also came into play too is that, you know, during high school, you know, puberty and all that, um, they all, my mood swings were always attributed just to, you know, my period. So just PMS, like, oh, mm -hmm. she's just, you know, she's probably just on her period. Mm -hmm. But, um, but there was actually something deeper going on that didn't get uncovered until after I graduated college. And how did you begin to uncover all of those like what was actually going on in and around you said college right mm -hmm. so what was the the process of like getting a diagnosis for you in order for me to get the diagnosis what had to happen was i actually had to attempt at my life in order to oh get my it gosh. now i don't say that exaggeratingly like i didn't think at the time, oh, something's mentally going on with me. Let me attempt mm -hmm. so people can take me seriously. Like, that's not what my thought process was <laughs> at <Yeah>. all. <laughs> that wasn't my assumption either, but thank you for clarifying. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as us, you know, like neurodivergence, like we get it, but like, I just want to make sure we clarify that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> for our neurotypicals. So 100%. that that wasn't my, my initial thought process. Um, what I'm saying is that people, whether it was my friends, my family, um, classmates, whatever, they didn't take me seriously until I made an attempt on my life. Mm -hmm. And then once that attempt happened, that's when people were like, oh, there's a problem. She's in trouble. She needs help. And when I look back on it, I... I really wish it didn't have to happen that way for people to finally recognize that something was going on with me. Um, but of course, I don't place the blame on everyone outside of me. There's also blame with myself because the with the way that I cope and manage with my emotions, a lot of it is inward. So I kind of hide a lot. Mm -hmm. So part of that onus is on not only on like, you know, my people outside of me, but also on myself as well. But I just really hate that it had to go down that way for me to get even into just in front of a therapist, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. That must've been very difficult. Mm -hmm. um, do you mind speaking about what led up to that uh, event? Yeah, sure. So um, in college, I was in my senior year. So I graduated from college in 2016 and during that time, I broke up with my boyfriend at the time, mm -hmm. and I was also double majoring, so I have a dual BA. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like I mentioned, the I was a part of the speech and debate team in college as well. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a, I was double majoring. I was a part of the speech and debate team. Um, I was living away from home, 
and you know I was just like involved in just a lot of different things and and then I was also going through like a pretty bad breakup Mm -hmm. and so I just felt really overwhelmed and because I haven't I hadn't learned positive emotional coping mechanisms it just I just didn't know how to handle all of these like negative emotions that was brewing inside of me so during that year um i just remember just feeling just so depressed and it just reached a climax where i just attempted on my life now i I don't want to go into detail with that Mm -hmm. but i made an attempt and my family responded by bringing one of my relatives over to talk to me which was okay but at the same time i was like i don't know yeah. this is the proper response yeah. <laughs> but i i love them deeply for it because they they were really trying mm-hmm. and and so after that um i graduated college i didn't go to the hospital at the time i know which is like everyone's like <gasps> every time i say that <laughs> so but i was like look it's different in the black community okay like it's different mm-hmm. and so after college um, shortly after I actually got an internship at a gaming company. And so I was working, I was working there. And at the time that I was interning, um, I was also in a relationship with a different person. And when I started that internship, that relationship fell apart. Um, Mm -hmm. the person broke up with me. And then also within that same week, I kid you not within that same week, one of my good friends from college and I, we had like a horrible falling out. Oh. So I was going through not only like an intimate relationship breakup, but also just like a friendship, like a really bad friendship breakup. Yeah. In the same week. And while also starting this new job that I had. So I had like all three of those stressors going on and I used to be on Snapchat at the time. I'm not on it anymore, honestly, because of this. (laughs) But um, essentially, I made a like virtual like suicide note. Oh. And one of my friends saw it, then contacted my parents about it, which then my parents approached me about it and was like, why would you do that? Like, why would you broadcast it like that? And I'm just like, whoa, okay. And from there, that's when they were like, okay, you need to see somebody. And so they got a recommendation for a therapist from my friend's mom and i started seeing that therapist then and she was the one that gave me my first diagnosis which was a depression and so that was your first diagnosis of depression and then what led to the other two so i didn't get my depression i mean not depression my diagnosis Mm -hmm. of bpd until 2018. okay yeah, so 2018 was actually when I was hospitalized. And then shortly after my hospitalization, I got the diagnosis of BPD, but it wasn't told to me explicitly. Like I had to literally mm. ask and be like, hey, mm-hmm. I think BPD kind of fits more of the symptoms I'm experiencing. And they're like, oh, yeah, we know. And I was like, um, <laughs> great. Like, were you ever going to tell me or... <laughs> You know, <laughs> surprise, you have BPD. So you were hospitalized. Do you mind talking about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I love talking about this stuff. <laughs> um, and so 2018, I was hospitalized. And I was hospitalized for, drum roll, please, suicide attempt. So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like, kind of no surprise. <laughs> that, yeah. That's right. Three? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and... So I was hospitalized in 2018 for, yeah, like about like the third uh, Mm -hmm. suicide attempt. And which was like, finally, she's in there, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like I'm pretty sure like people are listening, like, finally, we got her. Um, And uh, so I was in there um, and I honestly had a polarizing experience in the hospital and polarizing. What I mean by that is I was in two different hospitals. Mm-hmm. that were drastically different from each other hmm. so the first hospital that I went to was my county's mental hospital and um and that place 
honestly like scared me like and it was so uninviting and it was just so cold literally and figuratively there mm-hmm. <laughs> and like they didn't have any activities for us to do uh, we didn't even really have beds to sleep in we only had like these hospital chairs that recline what yeah there was like not really beds it was just like here's some like hospital chairs that recline so just sleep here and it'll be okay um and then our the food that we got was not too appetizing um like if i had to put it on a scale it was definitely worse than like school cafeteria food Mm -hmm. um and it was just and then there was just a lot of doctors and nurses running around and I'm, it was probably because of the caseload because there, at the time I was there, there was a lot of people in there mm-hmm. and they had only one shower and I think only like one toilet or like two bathrooms, but like one was for the wow. men's and one was for the women's. And then there was a couple of like isolation rooms. Mm-hmm. So you'd only get put in the isolation rooms if you were like real bad, you know, mm-hmm. but other than that, you would just mostly be sitting around hoping that a doctor comes talk to you and tells you what where you're going to go. Be- because the county hospital that I was at, it was kind of more like a transfer kind of hospital. So yeah. it was more like a lot of like social workers and doctors working together to figure out where all of these patients are going to go. Mm-hmm. But it was just... Oh, it was just uh, just a horrifying experience for me, honestly. And I stayed one night there, luckily, because if I stayed there another night, I honestly don't think I would have been here right now. Oh man. Yeah, I mean that that makes sense. That doesn't sound like those were good conditions at all. Mm-hmm. And then the second hospital, what was that like? So for the second hospital, that was like a utopia honestly <laughs> like like it was just night and day honestly yeah. um for the second hospital um it wasn't county owned i think it was for it was like i think it's owned by like a nonprofit or something okay and they actually had beds they actually had bedrooms you actually had bathrooms you got like a toothbrush you got toothpaste you can like wash your clothes like there was a washer drying machine where you could like wash your clothes um they asked you like hey do you have any like dietary restrictions and i was like what (laughs) i was like i can actually eat food that like is healthy for me and won't give me gas because i'm lactose Mm -hmm. intolerant like (laughs) i was like this is wild um and then there was activities and there was support groups um and a lot of the patients there were actually around my age too which was kind of nice um and I think they considered that part of the ward to be like a like with lower level patients in terms of uh, or no mm. higher higher level in terms of like higher functioning. So sure, it was sure. it was a lot of us that were higher functioning but were going through a very high symptomatic episode or maybe have attempted suicide or maybe is in a period of mania. So it was just yeah. a really eclectic mix of people. And the staff was super nice. And you were assigned a therapist and a psychiatrist and even like a social worker. So it was a lot of like one-on-one attention as well. That's that's great. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you got at least one of the, <laughs> it, at least one of them was good. Um, right. <laughs> how did you transition back into like having a job and stuff? Was that difficult? Yes. It was difficult because what tends to happen, or especially for me and from other stories that I've heard from my friends who've been in the hospital, is that they just are kind of like, okay, you're discharged, now you're on your way. Mm -hmm. And I'm kind of like, okay, now what? You know? Um, And for me, I was actually put into um, an IOP program, you know, an intensive outpatient program. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I haven't. So uh, IOP essentially is, um, how do I put it? Kind of like day school for people with (laughs) mental illnesses. Like That's like the simplest way to put it. Um, Like essentially it's like a four hour thing you do like Mondays through Fridays for however long your insurance will pay for. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, my insurance, I think they only pay for maybe like a week or two. Okay. And so Mondays through Fridays, I think it was from like 9 a.m. to about 2 or something. Like you'd mm-hmm. like go to this office building and you'd have a support group for this number, this amount of time. Then you'll have like a group activity for this amount of time. And then you'll mm-hmm. have like a lecture. It was essentially like a lecture from like a therapist about a certain topic at this time. And then there's like another kind of breakout session at this time. And then you're sent on your way. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was essentially like a day school yeah for, like, for neurodivergence essentially yeah <laughs> yeah like those those programs that you get when you at least for me we go to the library and have an activity and yeah mm-hmm. yeah um did that help with the transition i would say it helped um sadly at the time that i was doing the iop i still wasn't in a great mental space mm-hmm. so i truly wasn't able to digest the information that I was given. That makes um, sense. So, because this is this happened like immediately after I got out the hospital, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm like, I get out the hospital and then like the next day they're like, you're an IOP, bye. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That sounds just, like a whirlwind. Yeah, so it's like, I'm just getting carted from essentially one building to another. And I didn't really feel like I had room to breathe either. And so, like, my mind just kind of felt like it was, like, constantly in a blender where in IOP they were like, let's add in DBT skills. Let's add in support group. Let's add in this. And I'm just, it's like, yeah. everything's just getting chopped together. And it's just all this, like, mushy, like, this really mushy, like, <laughs> smoothie that nobody wants to drink, you know? <laughs> like, that's honestly how it was. Like, that's how I looked at it. I was like, oh, is this my brain? I really don't want anything to do with this. This um, is your brain on BBT. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And Thanks. so, um, and so for my experience there, I, there was things I remember. So I'm not saying I was just like zoning out the whole time, but there were mm-hmm. things that I took away. There were like some good, um, I would kind of say like quote unquote friendships I made during that. Um, and it did kind of help make my transition back into work a little bit easier. However, I do wish that in the IOP program that I was in or in any sort of after inpatient program that they have like a skills class regarding how to transition back into the workforce after being hospitalized. Yeah, that would be helpful. Oh my God. Like, (laughs) do you know how many lives we would save with that? Absolutely. Honestly. And like, I, and there was nothing clear about that. It was just more like, do self-care make sure you change your thoughts and get some sleep and exercise and eat right and i'm just like okay but like not everybody has the ability or access to do all these things yeah and so for me i'm like okay i'm gonna try to do all these things but at the same time like i needed to find a job like i needed money yeah um and thankfully um i was blessed to have parents that i could go back home to and live with um, however, the environment for me at the time wasn't productive to my mental health. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really pushed myself to essentially try and find a job so that I was able to move out on my own and mm-hmm. just essentially just figure myself out and figure out my brain and how my brain works. And I know you wrote a solo piece about uh, having borderline. And did that happen immediately or was that part of the process of like figuring out what was going on with your own mind? Yes, it was definitely a part of the process. Definitely wasn't Mm -hmm. like I got out of the hospital and I was like, I'm going to write a piece. Like, (laughs) you know, like, you know, some of us actors are just like, I had this experience. I must write about it. You know, for me, I was like, I am way too in my head to be able to even be creative right now. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, that's I think one of the most the most agonizing things about that the trope of like creativity comes from pain is because when you're in the pain you generally can't make anything and then you feel even worse because you're like well what good is this right i'm not even making anything (laughs) right which is a weird sort of i think this root is almost capitalistic as well of like okay well my value Mm -hmm. is how much i'm 
putting out, which is not true. And, and it's hard to wrap your head around, you know? Yeah, I honestly, I truly believe that art and capitalism, like, cannot, like, coexist sometimes. Um, yeah. Because it's like, it's, it's like either, because when you start making your art and you're not, you know, profiting off of it, you know, then people are supporting you. You're like, oh my gosh, they're so radical. They're so amazing and trans transformative but then as soon as mm -hmm. you start making money people are like oh you're a sellout sure and yeah. i was like i was like wait so did you want me to starve <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know <laughs> which like, is it yeah. yeah but this um this uh one one person show or solo piece that you you made how did it happen yeah um so geez how did it happen um <laughs> <laughs> like it's like let me like rewind because like i'm just mm -hmm. stuck in pandemic mode i'm gonna be honest so no i fully understand <laughs> so it was 2019 um or i think it was actually late 2018 because mm -hmm. i was at least in my job at least like months into my new job or my current job that i'm in now mm -hmm. and um and i was doing one woman shows through a class here in um, San Francisco called Solo Performance Workshop. Shout out to Martha mm -hmm. Reinberg. <laughs> and uh, I was doing, I did her class like about twice. So I came up with like two one woman shows and they both touched on my experience with depression. And at the time I, I had the BPD diagnosis, but I didn't know how to wrap my head around it you know, because BPD is so misunderstood in that when I did my research about it, you know, most of the top Google articles that popped up were like, why people with BPD are harmful or like how to mm -hmm. avoid like getting into a relationship with a person with BPD. Like it was blogs like that. And so I was like, I don't want to talk about this. Let's just kind yeah. of put it on the back burner for a minute. Mm -hmm. And so I did two shows just related to my experience with depression because I'm like, that's digestible right mm -hmm. um <laughs> and so i think it was late 2018 one of my solo performance castmates they sent me an email and they're like hey there's this um there's this lady that's looking to put on a solo performance showcase of actors with mental illness and i think you should apply and i was like huh this is so hyper specific. <laughs> it's like, it's like what? Um, and so um, the lady uh, who's Tony Weingarten, uh, she she wanted to do a showcase um, of just actors or just people who had mental illness because she also went through um, a, a severe depression episode herself when she was younger. So she's just wanted to put this sort of troupe together. Um, and I was like, uh, okay. And Tony, in her, I guess, application, she wrote, you know, we really want a range of mental illnesses. We want, like, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, like, you know, what have you. And I was like, okay. And I guess in my mind, for some reason, I was like, I guess maybe I should mention I have BPD. So I look different from everybody else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, let's just... <laughs> Give trying it a to make try. a splash right i was like you know yeah. i guess bpd can make an appearance now mm -hmm. uh, this is totally appropriate <laughs> and uh, today's uh performance so <laughs> depression will be played by borderline personality disorder <laughs> right. it's yeah. like, yay. Mm -hmm. and so i auditioned for tony um and there was kind of like a little interview kind of afterwards she's like oh so you know what are you like diagnosed with or what do you have and i was like well i have bpd and she's like, oh, BPD, what's that? And I was like, oh, wow, I actually have to, like, explain it? I was like, oh, gosh, now I'm really put on the spot. But, yeah. um, but essentially after that process, um, she called me up and she was like, hey, you're in the show. And I was like, great, uh, mm -hmm. now what, you know? <laughs> um, and I essentially wrote the show um, with her and at least it was like th it was me and three other people and Tony. So Tony mm -hmm. did hers about depression. Like we had, um, we had someone do theirs about like um, anxiety. Um, another one for bipolar, um, and then you know there was me with BPD. So it was, I essentially wrote the show within the troupe, 
and they helped me edit it. Um, we also had a director, shout out to Mark Kenward. And, you know, he helped us stage it. And that's how my um, BPD show, I guess, came about. That's great. That's, um, it's really cool that uh, you had the ability to work with others about that. I, I'm sure that must have made you feel very supported. Yes, and a lot, um, pretty much most of the troupe, um, except I think it was except one person, were all actors or at least had like creative backgrounds. Sure. So it was it was just a lot easier to connect with them, like not only on, you know, having a mental illness, but also, you know, being an actor or actress with mm-hmm. mental health issues. Do you still feel like a lot of pressure from culturally to like not talk about this and and how do you navigate that if you do i do feel culturally there's still some pressure to not Mm -hmm. talk about it but right now i don't think i think the pressure is kind of off now because of you know our current situation with like police brutality and like anti-racism and Mm -hmm. and all those protests that are going on I truly feel like there's a lot more um, psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists, just any mental health professional, especially our black mental health professionals, they're stepping up and they're saying, hey, we know you're out there protesting and like fighting, you know, for essentially your right to live, but you need to make sure you are taking care of your mental health. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of us in the black community are just saying enough is enough. You know, our life is ours, our mental and that our mental health matters. Mm -hmm. So I truly think 2020 is the year for black people as a community to really focus on mental health and to stop saying, Oh, God's got it. You know, Mm -hmm. or like I can handle it myself. Like we're truly like, we need to heal and we need to figure out, how to get our mental health together. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. Do you think there's inherent and inherited trauma from just like being a black person in America? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, slavery in America happened for at least 400 years. Yeah. So that's a long time. <laughs> that is a bit, that is yeah. a bit of time. <laughs> like that's, that's a lot of generational trauma yeah um on our on our backs and then um not only that but then there was also you know like this jim crow laws um you know segregation laws and then civil rights movement so that's like probably like another like 50 60 years added on to that um and then if i added my own age to that which is 25 mm-hmm. that's another 25 years on top of yeah that. so you know we're talking like 475 years of generational trauma <laughs> you know what i'm saying so yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's just for me alone yeah and yeah so there's there's just a lot of generational trauma not only just from our ancestry but like within like our own families like you know there's stuff that happens within your family that can get carried down to you that can Mm -hmm. even um kind of like alter um alter the way that your body reacts to stress yeah you know because trauma like trauma literally like alters the way that your brain reacts to stress. Mm-hmm. So it's, I truly do think it's a problem. I see you interacting on Twitter with uh, a few really great organizations and the, the way we got connected as uh, I was looking for specifically uh, mental health services for black people um, and to promote and to support. And you seem to be involved with a lot of like new applications and websites designed specifically around um, the mental health of black people and black people, black people in America specifically. Um, How did you get involved with those people? I got involved through that through my now really good friend. Um, Her name's Amade and she owns um, and she owns Depressed While Black. I don't know Mm, if you, yeah, so you've probably seen it around on social media but um, she she's a founder of depressed while black and i actually got connected to her through an article i read with that was an interview with her and in that interview she mentioned that she was living in san francisco at the time 
and mm-hmm. she was working at a mental health profit there, mental health nonprofit there. And I was like, what? She's in San Francisco? Oh my gosh, I have to meet her. You know, mm-hmm. she's just this like lovely, just just brave and just just bold black woman. And I was just like, oh, I need to meet her. And so I was super nervous, but like I slid into her DMs <laughs> and I was like, hey, so um, I'm trying to connect with uh, more people that look like me that also, you know, suffer from uh, some mental illness. So uh, you want to kind of connect, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, like try to sh- I literally like shoot my shot. I shot my shot with her, you know. Yeah. So, um, and she was just like, yeah, oh my gosh, please. And we met up and it was just like instant chemistry. Fantastic. So, um, and so through her, um, and through following her Twitter account and, you know, through Twitter's algorithm, they recommend other um, yeah. accounts. And so then I just started following these other like black mental health professionals and then these other black mental health nonprofits and just I was just following them and I would just start interacting with them and then we would just get into this kind of rapport and I was like oh my gosh am I like and I like talked to Amade one day and I'm like am I like a part of the mental health community now (laughs) and then she was just like yeah you're like a mental health advocate and I was like I could just call myself that she's like she's like yeah I was like can you like knight me or something like mental health advocate (laughs) like make it official and she's like okay I knight you as a mental health advocate (laughs) no go away you know yeah (laughs) <laughs> things to do. Yeah, it's like like whatever. Like just just put it on your bio. That's it. Bye. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she's like, and she's it's so funny because like I, I I mean like I hope she listens to this podcast. Amade, I see you as a big sister. Okay. So um, like she's she's like a couple years older than me, but um, I really do look up to her and all like the amazing work that she's doing through Depressed Wild Black. Like she she actually delivers um personal care items to mental health hospitals in north carolina so you know because a lot of because for for black patients in the inpatient hospitals there's not like a lot of personal care products for us like um Mm -hmm. there's not really like lotion there's no like satin bonnets for us to wear at night you know there's no sure combs that actually work in our hair Mm -hmm. and um, through Depressed Wild Black, um, Amade delivers, gets donations to buy like white tooth combs, satin bonnets, just That's like fantastic. clean underwear to, and like donates them to um, inpatient hospitals that she's in connection with. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, switching gears a little bit, has your mental health ever stopped you from being creative and making things besides, you know, being in a hospital? Yes, always, constantly. Um, if there's any person out there that's a creative that has either a mental illness or just severe mental health issues, if they say no, <laughs> be suspicious. <laughs> I was like, you're not human. <laughs> God. Like, uh. yes, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Of course. Like, even through the making of my show about bpd which is called uh, who wants to be neurotypical even making that show there was times and tony can attest to this honestly there was times i came to our rehearsal and they were like okay so what do you got today and i was like you know what i'm gonna be honest i didn't write today because i was suicidal or like i didn't write mm-hmm. today because like my mental health is tanking right now and i'm having high symptomalities but what was amazing through that process was although my creativity was stymied i was working with a group of people who were like me so they were actually able to sort of kind of dig through the rubble like with me and just yeah. sort of sit with me in it and they're not like they're not sitting there like oh you don't have anything okay uh up next who's next you know <laughs> yeah, like yeah. they're just like they're just like oh okay well why don't you talk about that? And I was like, what? You want me to talk about me feeling <laughs> suicidal? Like, what? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, like, well, you want me to talk about that? And so, like, I would actually talk about it. And then through, um, and then they actually had me record myself talking about it. And mm-hmm. through recording, and when I listened back to it, I was like, oh, wow, I actually have some, like, pretty great insights that I can in- incorporate into my show. And that actually yeah. sparked my creativity or, like, reignited my creativity mm-hmm to you know finish that show and 
the end product is now what you see on YouTube. Yeah. In general, how do you navigate around your mental health when it does prevent you from creating? Like, that's a very good specific example, but what if someone doesn't have a support group? Have you ever had to navigate it on your own? Yes. I I still do navigate it on my own um, when it comes to my creativity. How I do that is sometimes I actually utilize a technique that I learned from the group. And when I'm having just a really horrible mental health day where I can't even like lift a foot out of bed, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll just start talking to myself and just record myself talking to myself. Mm-hmm. And when I'm ready to listen to it, I'll listen back to it. And, and sometimes it sparks creativity and sometimes it's just a moment of reflection for me mm-hmm. and I and what I want to say here is that it's totally okay if you don't feel creative like you don't always need to monetize every single thing that you do you don't need to monetize your hobbies all the time um, and if it's a day where your creativity is just like you just <laughs> just let it be um and and the more that you focus on being more gentle with yourself during that time your creativity will come back like it will come back because you are taking care of yourself so that your mind is ready to be open for that creative opportunity makes sense to me as an actor um you know you're portraying different people right right and one of the symptoms of borderline is that you have a you know i guess a looser sense of self do you think that contributes to the desire for to be an actor so the the bpd symptom i think you're referring to is like the unstable sense of sense of self like sense of identity Mm -hmm. and does that contribute to me wanting to be an actress Uh, uh, there's a little part of me that's kind of like "Mm, now that you say that maybe (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) like maybe yeah Um, but you know on the like one side of it is probably true where I I kind of sought out acting because I was like yeah I can finally portray somebody else that's not me you know but then the other side that's true is I actually like acting for acting not just because I get to be somebody else but like I just like the space um I like the atmosphere and like the feelings that I get from being on stage or in front of a camera or even just like now like talking to you like I love this this is great Mm -hmm. so Thinking dialectically, oh, Marshall Linehan, um, <laughs> um, thinking dialectically about this, where both of these opposites are true, where like, yeah, I might, I do acting because of, based on a BPD symptom of, of an unstable sense of self, and I actually like acting for acting, like the medium here is, yes, I do have BPD, but that doesn't negate the fact that I like acting for acting sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah that make that that tracks mm-hmm. you just said dialectically uh <laughs> what does that mean uh dialectically oh gosh um my old dbt teacher will probably kill me for butchering this <laughs> but uh, so I've taken dbt which is um dialectical behavioral therapy and I'm probably going to butcher it, so sorry, kids. Um, but just, you got Google, so look it up. <laughs> look it up, people. But uh, yeah. So DBT, um, dialectical behavioral therapy, is essentially a type of therapy that was specifically created for people with BPD. And mm-hmm. their goal, the goal is to, quote, quote, create a life worth living. And so to be dialectical is to acknowledge your reason mind 
and your emotion mind in hopes to come to a wise mind decision. So if you're, if you're kind of hmm. thinking of it in a sort of Venn diagram, like with the two circles and in the intersecting part, mm-hmm. on one side you have your um, reason mind or rational mind. So this is just very logical, straight to the facts, you know, like no emotions involved there. And then on the other side, you have your emotion mind, which is all the emotions, all the feels. Um, and for people, we tend to we tend to sort of kind of flow one way or the other. Um, and for people with BPD, we definitely flow one way or the other. Like we mm-hmm. have what's called like black and white thinking. So we don't really see the gray in things. It's just like, it's either this or that, that's it. So we're either in rational mind or we're in emotion mind. Um, And so DBT helps bridge the two to bring you in the middle to wise mind, which is like the intersecting part of the Venn diagram. And so to be dialectal, dialectical is essentially to be, to make more wise mind decisions. Mm -hmm. Okay. What would your biggest piece of advice be for someone who has been recently diagnosed with borderline personality disorder? and is trying to make like art or media or content. So my biggest piece of advice to someone who has been diagnosed with BPD, who's trying to make art or some sort of media is don't Google, don't Google BPD, please. (laughs) Don't, (laughs) don't do it. Don't do it if you want to be disappointed. (laughs) um like only google when you're ready honestly Mm -hmm. like google when you are in your wise mind and you are emotionally and you're in an emotionally stable place and your distress is low then -hmm. you can google bpd otherwise um if you have bpd and you're trying to make media my other piece of advice is to make sure you slow down because when it comes to stuff in the media and i work in social media marketing which is kind of ironic but um (laughs) um, when it comes to media a lot of things are happening fast it's Mm -hmm. quick and how a lot of people react on social media i would kind of condense it down condense it down to either emotional mind or rational mind yeah so like when you see that sort of sensational headline like there's people being like reacting to it emotionally like oh no not again like this happened because i'm feeling like this or people Mm -hmm. react to it strictly like logically like well these are the facts and this is this and this is that without really taking into account like the human side you know of what's going on so for someone who has bpd who's trying to make art or is in the media or whatever you got to make sure you stay dialectical about what you're doing. Um, and that know that you don't need to always be an emotion mind just to make your art. You know, like how you were saying earlier, Tristan, about, um, you know, art comes from pain. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for those of us with BPD who are trying to make art or just be in the media space know that we don't always need to be in the emotion mind to get the content that we need you know what i'm saying like yeah yeah, yeah. don't go triggering yourself into like an emotional episode (laughs) to get that content like it's not (laughs) worth it because because we know as people with bpd we have what's called um a slow return to baseline Mm. so um which essentially means that once we are um triggered from an event um, our, like our baseline sits at, uh, I guess you would say maybe a lower level than probably normal. So to return to that, it takes us longer for someone who's neurotypical and may get triggered by an event. It'll like, if you look at it, like as a line chart, line graph, it'll like spike, Mm -hmm. then it'll like, you know, come back down versus Mm -hmm. for someone with BPD, it'll spike. And then like it might plateau for a little bit, plateau, plateau, and then slowly come down either like hour by hour or day by day or week by week. So um, 
because we have that, it's very important for us as people with BPD in the media to be aware of that and to know that it's okay to make art from a, a wise mind place and it's okay to be patient with ourselves during this time too. Besides therapy, what other measures do you use to cope with on a day-to-day basis with your, your condition? Well, I'm on medication, but it's not specifically for BPD because there's no medication available for folks with BPD. Right. But I'm on an antidepressant because I still have depression. Mm-hmm. So that that medication, at the very least, helps me be able to just get out of bed and complete just my everyday activities. Then the next thing that I do, um, and ugh, I know we hate hearing this, but like I, I actually had to alter my diet, um, not because of my mental health, but also because, um, also because of like for health related reasons. Like I was in, I'm kind of in the pre-diabetic range, okay. so I had to alter my diet too, um, and so that's kind of what I'm doing. And then at the same time because I'm in that area and I'm only 25 and I'm in this pre-diabetic range. And because of that, I've also had to increase my exercise, mm-hmm. um, which has actually been helpful too. Yeah. And, and then the next thing I do, so besides like the whole like sleeping, exercising and eating, you know, that everybody kind of throws at you all the time, which yeah. we know is helpful, but you know, yeah. give us some actual things to do. you know that we want to do you know what i'm saying yeah Yeah. and um so in terms of things that help me and that are things that i want to do i always try to make sure that there is one thing that i do every day that i'm looking forward to Mm -hmm. like I, i try to schedule that in every day so whether that's like oh um a new season, the new season of Pose came out on Netflix. I want to make sure I watch an episode tonight. Mm-hmm. Or um, or it's like, oh, my favorite YouTuber just posted a new video. I want to make sure I watch that maybe today or tomorrow or this week. Um, just You really just have to tap in and figure out what makes you happy. Is it just going outside and sitting out there for 30 minutes? Factor that into your day. Factor that into your life every day if you can. Um, is it just watching your favorite YouTuber or Twitch streamer? Like, try to factor that in somehow. Um, is it eating cake? Great, but make sure you do it <laughs> mindfully and within, you know, within, mm-hmm. um, within like your calorie range for your body. Yeah. You know, so you you just have to. Um, you just. I honestly feel like that's like the number one thing is like once you kind of have that habit of making sure you do one thing that you enjoy, whether it's as small as just sitting outside in the sun or maybe as big as like writing a blog post, like you, like you factor that in. And I truly think that'll help um, decrease sort of negative symptoms and sort of build what uh, Rashida Walker Dr. Rashida Walker calls psychological like fortitude so that you mm-hmm. feel really confident in yourself. It's good advice. And I want to thank you for sharing it. And thank you for being on. Um, unless there's anything else you want to say, I, I'm good on my end. I guess the last thing I'll say is um, for my folks with BPD or if you're just black and you're having just mental health struggles, there is a place on Reddit for you. So there's a subreddit that's called r slash black mental health. And that's a subreddit that I created a couple months ago. And it's grown to about 1300 members now, though we post articles about different types of self-care. We post articles about what to expect when you're going to your first therapy session. Um, And we post resources pertaining to how to find a therapist, how to manage and cope with your emotions, um, other mental health subreddits that exist on Reddit. Like we have that all in that subreddit. And then we also have space for people to just vent and just support each other, like with whatever they're going through. And we just have this just really eclectic group of black people. Like there's black people mixed with black and there's black people mixed with like 
um, either the Latinx or the mixed with white or, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. we just have this eclectic group of just like BIPOC people in there. Um, and we even have, and we even have like non-black allies that are in there. They're mostly lurkers, um, yeah. but they're, they're in there too. And they're just like learning and just digesting um, the content because a lot of them message me actually. And they're like, how can I be like a better ally for my friend who's going through mental health struggles and they're black? Like, I really don't want to minimize their experience, you know, because I have mental health issues too, but you know, I know there's mm-hmm. nuances. So like, how can I do that? And I was like, you know, just join, join the subreddit and just lurk. Okay. Just don't post, yeah. just, just look. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I, I think you know. that's good advice in general for white people these days is don't post, just lurk. <laughs> yeah. Like, not, well, not like don't, like just lurk but just more like just listen you yeah, know? yeah like just just listen <laughs> you know like it's okay sit back digest the information listen ask questions but listen mm-hmm. 100%. You know? mm-hmm. but that's great i'm glad you're you're championing that resource that sounds amazing yeah yeah thank you so much for being on 